A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 128 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes Zoom as well as in Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here, let's get the show started. I'm one of the hosts, Defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Hurlman, and with me like a bantha to a Tuscan, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! One continuity, two continuities. You know, I guess that is kind of appropriate since we are uh, dealing with essentially part two uh, of what would have been one episode originally, but we just talk too freaking much. That's so true. Well, I do. I'm not sure if you talk too much. I'm the only one people ever complain about. Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we continue where we left off last time with your emails. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentient of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That brings us to an email from Jazz, and Jazz, I'm going to try to say your name correctly here. Jazz, is it Rathor? Rathore? You're probably going to have to write back to us just to tell me how to pronounce that correctly so I don't keep screwing it up. Uh, but Jazz says in an email entitled, The Squibs Speak Back, I like that subject yes! line. He says, <laughs> hey guys, just listen to your last episode, Jackson Speaks. That's the one with Andrew Gilbertson's thoughts. And had to chime in with a couple of thoughts. We'll try to keep this as short and concise as possible, as I'm going to watch some Firefly in a bit. Good man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the email from Andrew Gilbertson, he expressed his fear that his as-yet-unborn child would not have the same enjoyment of the Star Wars Expanded Universe as he has had. Firstly, who is to say the kid will even like Star Wars? Secondly, if the kid does become a Star Wars fan, who is to say that he won't delve into the Expanded Universe? If Andrew's kid and his generation don't delve into our EU... So what? Maybe the future novels under the supervision of the story group will be better. 
Who knows? We don't. I'm reminded of a high school teacher who spent five to ten minutes expounding how Jurassic Park was a terrible movie. Yet when I asked him what he didn't like, he told the class he hadn't seen it. We need to withhold judgment of the future of the Star Wars Expanded Universe until we see what we are offered. And would that be a terrible thing if the future generation became fans of a different Star Wars than us? My father was a huge Doctor Who fan in his days, the original series. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, I wasn't able to watch reruns, but I delved into the world of Doctor Who in its written form. And now there is a new and revamped Doctor Who generation that is probably more crazed about it than my dad's generation ever was. Things evolve. Doctor Who evolved. Star Wars is in a process of evolution. Younger generations are probably more fans of the prequel trilogy or the Clone Wars than the original trilogy, and older generations are shocked. Original trilogy fans have to remember that the original trilogy were great because we were kids when we saw them, but when we see the prequel trilogy or the Clone Wars, we're doing so as adults, whereas the kids are watching them as we did 30 years ago, and they need their Star Wars. No one can take the EU from us. Whether it is known as the EU, who coined the term anyway, or Legends, does it really matter? I have all the novels and all the comic books, and no LFL Gestapo kicked down my door and confiscated them just because they no longer are canon. I will enjoy them all and the new content for years to come. Another point that you two have mentioned several times can in fact be solved by this move. It's been stated many times how the EU is now so jam-packed that the big three don't even have time to use the bathroom between the battles they fight. Well, in this new canon, maybe they will get a well-deserved rest. And maybe a younger generation will get a chance to shine, rather than a trio of geriatrics facing every threat the galaxy can throw their way because the authors can't place responsibility in the hands of the next generation. Although the next generation were introduced and explored in the EU slash Legends, they were never more than side characters, with Han, Luke, and Leia as the most important. Also, Chewie will be alive! Which leads me to my final point in this rant. Star Wars fans generally accept that Chewbacca had a life debt to Han Solo, which came from Han saving Chewie from slavery, leading to his dishonorable discharge from the Imperial Navy. This is established in the EU, not in the movies. Yet these are commonly accepted facts, and I'm sure that other commonly accepted facts will remain, even though they come from a Legends book. The story of Darth Plagueis, as outlined by James Luceno, will still, in my opinion, be canon as far as a story group goes, but the book as it stands will not, due to its references to a plethora of works that will not be considered part of the new canon. Sorcerers of Tund, anybody? Finally, Star Wars is whatever you want it to be. Don't know if you were the guys who once used the term P-canon as in personal canon, but I go by that rule. If you like it, and it's part of your version of Star Wars, that's fine. No one can take it from you. Star Wars is one of the only constants I have had in my life, but I do not view this as an end to the expanded universe, but rather the opening of a new chapter of Star Wars stories, and I cannot wait to see what we have in store, hoping for something as good as the Clone Wars. This isn't meant as an attack on Andrew or his kid or his kid's generation, but my opinion. I am hopeful for the future of Star Wars. I am optimistic for the future of Star Wars, and I believe in Star Wars. Relax. We are meant to enjoy it. May the Force be with you. Jazz. Jazz, you know, you got a lot of good points there. One thing that you point out, you know, if Andrew's and if Andrew's kid and his generation don't dwell into our youth, so what? When I think that comes from the aspect of, you know, you want to share the things you love with your children. Uh, you know, I, I've always been, you know, wanting my son to be a big Star Wars fan, and he happened to be one. But I remember that moment of panic when the Clone Wars first started, 
and you know halloween was coming and i'm ready to dress up as a jedi as always and my son wants to be a clone trooper i'm like oh dude you're gonna be the guy that kills me you know <laughs> i mean that was, that was such a visceral betrayal and and yet he managed to get me to to join him on that side mainly because of kenobi wearing clone armor but you know uh things evolve as you say uh star wars definitely is in a process of evolution uh, i think that's the hardest part is is when you're stuck in those moments that the moments of change the chaos that comes with that um, and you're going to see a lot of people trying to cope the best they can. And another thing I, I'm going to just point out to our fandom in general is, is don't hang a fan based on one or two tweets or comments. I mean, I see a lot of people out there that absolutely viscerally hate Simon Pegg because of things he said. doesn't mean the guy doesn't love Star Wars. Just we all have our own different likes and dislikes about the stuff. Uh, you know, you, you also mentioned in the new canon, the big three will get the, the well-deserved rest. That's the one aspect about all this that I'm really excited about. I mean, you know, Leia became a Jedi during the new Jedi order. And that was so long after the movies that I, I felt like there was such missed opportunity there that I'm really excited to see where they go with that part of the character. Uh, so, so that's really cool. Um, you know, and getting to that part where you mentioned, you know, it's our, your vision of star Wars, the personal canon. You know, I, I agree with what you're saying there because you know, if you like or dislike something, it is your Star Wars. I mean, for for example, uh, the Infinity story where uh, Vader stabs himself through the chest to kill Maul. I always considered that part of my sea canon, you know, my my expanded universe legends continuity, even though it, it didn't fall into the, the right ring of it. But I also like like Nathan always points out the intellectual honesty part is, is when we're talking to each other about what did and didn't happen, uh, you know, moving it's funny because moving forward, it's a clean slate, but with everything that happened in Legends, there's still that hierarchy of things that counted and didn't count. But yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you can enjoy what you want to enjoy. Uh, what I try to do with those kind of conversations is just make the other person see you know, what it is about that story that I loved and why I think it should count and those kind of things. And to me, I think that's part of the fandom side of things that, that that's really cool. Uh, you know, I mean, Jazz, I, I know we've chatted about things back and forth on Facebook and stuff. Uh, it's it just, you know, the fun of fandom in that regard. We just got to remember, though, that at the end of the day, we are in that process of change. And as things are evolving, we as fans have to evolve and our points of view have to evolve. I'm not ready to unlearn what I've learned but I am ready to look at it from a certain point of view. Yeah, let's see. Uh, several things to say in relation to this. One, um, I do agree that it would be nice to see the big three maybe taking a step back and see more side characters get a chance to shine. Not sure how long it's going to take for that to really happen outside of film and uh, Clone Wars and Rebels characters because they do need a chance to build those characters up. But yeah, it always seemed a little strange that they brought up the whole Young Jedi Knights era and how they're supposed to be, you know, this new group of Jedi going through schooling and then graduating and they become the heroes. And yet, that really wasn't the case. They always had to share the spotlight with others uh, from the big three all the way up through Crucible. And really, the only eras we get in which the big three are not a huge part of the storytelling are the ones before they were born or the ones set so far in the future that they're dead. But even then, you still get the Force Ghost of Luke and it's still that Skywalker or Solo heritage that tends to get a lot of the focus. Um, so it'd be nice to see that. I don't know if they're going to go in that particular direction. Uh, I do like, you know, the use of the whole thing about the lack of bathroom time for the main characters. I always use that as the reference for the time between the films, or at least the original trilogy films, for stories like uh, Rebel Heist. Although I think if I talk about Rebel Heist, I need to talk in sentence fragments, because that's pretty much the way that the author writes for Rebel Heist. Uh, so... Things like this, or that, or this, <laughs> makes you frustrated. Notice Kirk those syndrome. all had periods between them. 
Total Kirk syndrome right there. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's like Captain Kirk is narrating that particular Star Wars story. Um, <laughs> as far as Plagueis, I would not be surprised to see elements of what we got with the Darth Plagueis novel showing up within the new canon. Not because of Lucino, per se, but because Lucino collaborated so closely with Lucas on the Darth Plagueis novel. And then, of course, worked in all those expanded universe references and stuff in it into it as well. So I would hope that that means that some of this stuff was set in stone by Lucas, which would then be passed on through Lucasfilm. Uh, we'll just have to see. You know, that that's actually that's interesting because with Lucino doing Tarkin, it would be interesting to see in little back, you know, background stuff where he brings elements of Plagueis over, you know, like events that happen, but not the details of and things like that. That would be an interesting way to bring those aspects of the EU over if those authors do that kind of stuff. Yeah, as long as it doesn't wind up getting into that argument of, see, they referenced it, it must be carried over. No, no, it doesn't. Um, as far as commonly accepted facts, I think we could go with that. Um, uh, whether or not they they decide to use certain aspects. I mean, you figure the way hyperspace was described as working. I would say a lot of the stuff from the foundations, from even the old West End Games source books, might show up. You know, names of ships and things like that. But understand, we, as far as I know, thus far, we don't even know if the calendar that will be used for this new canon is based on the Battle of Yavin or not. Will this be ABY, BBY? We have no clue, so it's hard to start getting into anything unless the terminology is shown up somewhere else, um, but maybe some commonly accepted concepts would come back, uh, especially the stuff that Filoni liked, so he worked it into the Clone Wars. Maybe he'll find some stuff that he liked and work in elements of it into you know, the Rebels, like they worked in mm -hmm. Holocrons and the Night Sisters and so forth. Um, yeah. I do agree that most star most generations experience Star Wars in a different way. We ran into that when we did our little mini interviews for Rebels Roundtable. Um, some of us saw all the films in the theaters. Some didn't see any of them. Um, at least the first time around, some saw part of them. Um, some fans' fandom is built by what they read and the stories they experienced in comics and novels. For some, it's the Clone Wars. Um, of course, the next generation is going to have a lot of what they think of as Star Wars formed by the sequel trilogy. I'm not sure that that in any way, though, negates what Andrew's argument was. He has a particular way of, sh of experiencing Star Wars that he finds important to him. And it's not so much that he didn't want his son to experience Star Wars in a different way, or to have that experience, so much as he is regretful of the fact that what he grew to love, his fandom focus of Star Wars, will probably not be something that is as accessible to that new generation of fans. So that's a touchstone. I mean, Star Wars as a whole is a community builder. The concept of it is a community builder. You spend time talking to anybody who's also a fan, the movies are the common reference point for everyone. Uh, then the Clone Wars and then so on. Um, it's a matter of how many of those connective tissues are there between what you experience in Star Wars and what someone else experiences. Uh, which is ironic, I guess, that I focus on that because it implies a personal experience with the saga. And in a sense, it is. As a fan, you have your own journey, just as Lucas, as a filmmaker, had his journey and so forth. Your journey of when you get into Star Wars and what you like most about it, your favorite characters and such, are going to be different from somebody else's. However, I still would argue that the concept of personal canon is an intellectually dishonest piece of crap. Because personal canon assumes that we as the readers, we as the viewers, get to choose what is or is not real in the saga. And we don't. 
Until Star Wars somehow becomes public domain, there is a copyright holder who makes that decision. If you as a fan want to experience it in one particular way, fine. You want to tell yourself that in your version of Star Wars, Dark Empire never happened? That's fine in your own head. But as soon as you start expressing that personal canon as any kind of fact, unless it is in the context of, well, I prefer such and such, then you're being intellectually dishonest. Because you don't get to choose that. They do. It's the same thing as, you know, if I want to be someone who's reading Transformers Generation 1 comics from Marvel, all 80 plus the side series, and I want to pick up Regeneration 1 that's going on right now, I can't turn around and say, well, you see, there was this, and then there was this, but in between there was Generation 2 from Marvel. No, because they wiped out the Generation 2 comics continuity when they added Regeneration 1 to pick up from where issue 80 left off. They have the copyright, they make the decision, they decided, and now we are stuck with their decision. You can say, well, these, I want to believe they all happened at once, fine. But as soon as you start conversing about it, you better be intellectually honest about it. Otherwise, you're not contributing to the conversation, you're harming it. You're making it a, a, an environment that is not logical, for lack of a better term. Um, so yeah, personal canon, I will never agree with. If it's going on in your own head, great. As soon as you start to express it and use it within discussion, unless within that very narrow confines of this is what I prefer, you're part of the problem, not the solution. Well, I mean, it's easier when the work is never ref touched on again. I mean, like, like, let's say Razor's Edge. You could easily say, you know, in my canon for Legends that never existed – but it's harder when it's it's something like like you said, Dark Empire. You know, when they're referencing back to those events, or or a worst case scenario when you had uh, the last uh, Fate of the Jedi Legacy of the Force, uh, where they start talking about Ablis background and stuff, and they reference the Clone Wars. It's like, oh well, I can't pretend that didn't happen now. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're where you're coming from 100%, Nathan. But I also I get where Jazz is coming from in the aspect of you know it, it being something that doesn't matter, but. The key there is that visceral reaction when you're when you're commenting with other people. You can't get really angry and fist pumping about your personal canon not being legit. I mean, I think I think that's part of the problem for us EU fans was we were fed that official continuity, you know, and this is canon, although it's not film canon is how they always said it to us, you know, and, and now they're like, yeah, here's behind the drapes. Or, yeah, that that official canon was just a lie. We've been lying to you all this time. Lucas has been telling you the truth, though, and a couple times Pablo said it and stuff, but you know, for the most part, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the CGS stuff should probably have been called CGRS and not called that dash canon, because all it did was confuse from what actual canon had meant, um, the mm -hmm. films. Um, though I would say that, as, as you said there, it does make it a little bit easier, I guess, to use personal canon when you're talking about something like Razor's Edge. That doesn't make it any more honest in discussion, though. It's still intellectual dishonesty unless you are pointing out that, well, this doesn't exist, but only in my preferred way of looking at it, because, like it or not, Razor's Edge huh, does exist as part of the continuity. It's less of a minefield if you're talking about stuff that doesn't get referenced later. It's less of a minefield if you don't acknowledge Razor's Edge and somebody else does, because chances are you're not going to talk about it, doesn't make it any more honest. Would have been one of those things that would have been interesting if Star Wars, instead of going to Disney 
had at some point become public domain, like Sherlock Holmes is. Because then you might be able to see the audience in a lot of ways sort of take control of the mythology. Um, if you ever get a chance to check out the cool Joseph Campbell special that was done by PBS, Joseph Campbell um, in The Power of Myth, or if you get a chance to check out, uh, what was it called? Using the Force, Creativity, Community, and Star Wars fans, I think, that did it. Mm -hmm. um, they focus in on the idea that modern myths, which is what Star Wars at least attempted to be before it continued to expand and expand and expand, it became more sci-fi than myth, um, that general, generally in mythology, what you'll find is that the community, as it grows, sort of takes ownership of that mythology and shapes its growth and development. But... Mm -hmm. Modern myths are different because we're so caught up in the ideas of copyright and intellectual property that we don't have hundreds or thousands of years for that to kind of fade and to become something that is developing within the community. We still have the copyright holders and the creators living and contributing. And until we get Star Wars as a public domain thing, then I highly doubt we're ever really going to reach that point. But we still treat it as if we're the custodians of that saga, even though we're not. Well, you know, it's weird because, like, you got that Steam Wars out there, which is a total, you know, Star Wars ripoff in that regard. And they're able to do that, uh, you know. And then you've got, like, you know, with the, the Disney and Marvel and, and the Fox split where, you know, Disney can't use the word mutant because Fox has it. It just – I sometimes the copyright stuff, I just think it just needs to be thrown away. It's an archaic system that I think it's limiting so much creativity. <laughs> Oh, see, as a writer, I, I no, 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 no way. You need to be able to control your intellectual property. But at some point, if something is supposedly a modern mythology, instead of being an entertainment franchise, then it's going to to make that cultural shift. I have no illusions that anything I've ever produced, like Greater Good, is ever going to become modern mythology. In which case, it's entertainment property. That's where all the copyright stuff comes in. But that actually ties into our next email. An email from Adam Taylor, who asks some different questions than we're used to seeing on this issue. He says, Hi guys, I've had an email read before back when Dark Horse lost the contract, and I've exhausted myself coming to terms with the death of the EU via several posts all over Facebook and Twitter. Plus, other people have articulated my feelings far better than I could even if I tried to write it down here. So, all I ask is if Nate could shed some light on the nature of licensing licensees and royalties, being as he is a published author within the franchise and others. Recently, there's been several posts and videos stating they rebooted the EU to avoid paying royalties to the authors and artists who created the characters and storylines created for the New Jedi Order, etc. I don't believe this is the way Lucas did business, and I'm sure he would have retained 100% of the rights to every aspect of his universe. Just thought a bit of clarification could help fight at least some of the fires that are burning up fandom at the moment. Thanks again for spending your own time and money to bring us great commentary and entertainment in our favorite galaxy far, far away. Adam J. Taylor. Mark, you mind if I take this one since he asked the direct question? Yeah, I mean, I I, I actually seen this uh, brought up, and I believe me and him have talked about it on Facebook. I mean, as far as I've always been under the impression, Lucas owned everything in that sandbox. Well, Lucasfilm does, and the licensees do. Like, like for instance, I can only speak from my personal experience, but it, from what I understand, there really isn't a big royalties issue for these people, especially not when it comes to characters. Maybe on reprinting books, 
but not necessarily characters when it comes to Star Wars. Like, for instance, when I came in and wrote for Star Wars Tales, it was basically a freelance writing job. You come in, you create the, the, the planet, the characters, uh, Ord Cedra, you create uh, Tarneel, uh, you create uh, Lieutenant Palin, those are the different characters that I created for the thing and the planet and all. You create the situation, and then you're basically talent for hire. You put the written work together, they take it, they say thank you very much, they put the artwork with it, which you do not generally get a chance to approve, but Jeremy Barlow showed it to me along the way anyway, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and then eventually it sees print. And generally you are paid up front for however much work is expected and however many copies they plan to sell um, based on your initial contract. So for instance, in that case, um, I was paid X amount for each page of my 14-page story, no matter how much it was typed out, 14 comic pages, so however much per page, and then got that paycheck, and unless that thing sold like ridiculously mad compared to other Star Wars comics, there would never be any further royalties of any kind paid on that issue. Eventually that issue was put together in trade paperback form. Eventually that one was put into a comic pack with two action figures. Number one, I wasn't even notified officially when a comic pack was going to be made of the figures. I found out when everybody else did, seeing it online or in Star Wars Insider. I forget exactly which one it was. Um, and at no point throughout that process does it ever reach the point where it sold so many copies that based on their, their original contract, there's all kinds of extra royalties owed. Uh, it's set up in such a way that generally you get paid when you write, and that's it, barring a ridiculous amount of reprintings and reissues of that same book. But you could, if it sold like crazy, like say, the Thrawn Trilogy, or if you have a different setup to the contract. But that's for the written works themselves. The characters you create, the planets you create, that universe, that's all owned by Lucasfilm. They control that. I mean, that's why, you know, Timothy Zahn couldn't turn around and gripe about how Mara Jade was handled in any other stories. Um, he didn't get to do that because, A, he wanted to continue working for them from time to time, but also he didn't have any rights over the character. Um, same thing goes whenever I worked on the Wars novellas. Um, I write for that saga. Those characters and situations are all owned by either Decipher or Grail Quest books. Um, in that case, it's based on you get a percentage of every book sold, but still, that's based on the written work. Uh, at any point, they could use, like, they're, pretty soon they're going to have Volume 3 of all three factions of the Wars, the Battle of Phobos novella series come out. Um, I haven't read any of the three of them. I had no part in writing any of the three of them. But you can bet your butt that they're going to be using characters from my first two Earther novellas because they're all part of one series. They're all that one shared universe. So... So no, I don't think it makes any sense for them to say that they rebooted the EU to avoid paying royalties to the authors and artists who created the characters and storylines for those particular book series. Um, maybe, maybe it plays a role in taking certain books out of print, but since they're based on demand in terms of which books are taking out of print, the ones they're taking out of print wouldn't have been the ones pushing royalties anyway. Um, and if they really wanted to go that route, you would think they wouldn't be republishing anything um, nor, I would say, would they be allowing people like Fantasy Flight Games to continue using characters like Kyle Katarn and Jan Ors and such and Mara Jade in them. 
because wouldn't that just be a royalties thing if it was based on characters? So, no, no, uh, no more than you could say that, well, since Crucible came out, and Crucible has Han, Luke, and Leia in it, they gotta pay Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill a cut. No, they don't. They portrayed them, the characters belong to Lucasfilm. And so does the bank. This one comes in from Kenny Crayley Jr. He says, Hello, Star Wars Beyond the Films and Mark and Nathan. Great show as always. I listen to it every week. I already emailed in my thoughts on the canon announcement, but here are some more questions that I have. Number one, with the new canon now in full effect, besides the new novels from Del Rey and comics coming in 2015 from Marvel, what story ideas for the new Star Wars canon could we get? Could we see maybe a retelling of the film novels for the six films and the Clone Wars film? Could we see new heroes and bad guys, etc., etc.? Also, what new writers could come in to Star Wars and so forth? Number two, could we still see these stories in the Legends universe, like Sword of the Jedi and so on, or is it time for those types of stories to be put on hold and maybe we'll never see them? Number three, who would you want to write the film novels of episodes 7 through 9, and if they did novels of the spin-off movies, who would be your choice? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work with Star Wars Beyond the Films, and may the Force be with you always. Sincerely, longtime listener, Kenny Crayley Jr. from Ohio. Hey, Kenny. Well, let's see. Let's go down the list, shall we? Uh, what story ideas for the new Star Wars canon could we get? That one, you know, my brain just racks so many directions. I mean, there, there's the aspects of are they going to retell some stories in new directions where it's kind of like they hint at things. I don't know if they're going to go that way or not. Uh, I kind of expect to see some kind of lead-up tales, maybe something about what happened after Return of the Jedi, since it's going to be so far in the future to kind of like bring you up to speed. Like, hey, you can watch Return of the Jedi and then read this comic real quick. And then you know that there's like another 10, 12 years, 15 years or so, wherever, depending they put it, before the movie starts off. And then maybe they'll put out some more that kind of lead up to the movie. I could see them doing something like that. Maybe if they do have some main characters and stuff uh, that are highlighted in rebels that are going to show up in the movie we could see some tie-in material in that regard or characters that aren't in rebels that are going to tie into the movie that we get their backstories and stuff in separate comics they could do stuff like that um as for you know the talent to bring over i to me it's the sky's the limit i, I would aim for all the authors that originally put out stuff that was you know well received uh you know paul s kemp's already coming over yeah i would love to see so many great authors out there michael stackpole i would love to see come back uh, especially now um zon i i you know that's a no-brainer right i mean <laughs> why wouldn't zon come over and i think that the fact that they haven't said him yet is kind of like shame on you disney shame on you but you know there's so many other characters at the same time i'm kind of like you know throw the olive branch into the fire or, or whatever you need to do, but contact Karen Travis. <laughs> Let's ever have another go at it now that there's a whole new background here of the uh, main money, you know, Avenue. Um, when we get to, uh, you know, your, your part three, uh, who do you want to write the film episodes for seven through nine? In that regard, I'm a terrible fan. I really don't care too much as to who's writing the stuff or who's directing the stuff. Uh, I, I just want good stuff. And, for me, like, yeah, there's some authors and there's some directors out there that their their names, for me, readily jump forward. You know, you got your Joss Whedon's, you got your uh, John Favreau's, you know, J.J. Abrams, things like that. But even, even with all these guys that I love, you know, they've put out some hit and miss stuff 
for me. You know, I mean, X-Men Days of Future Past, you know, I just put out there, I'd seen that. And while I liked it a lot, it wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be, but it was still a great movie. I mean, I was very conflicted on that. But uh, again, for me, I, I'm just terrible when it comes to that kind of stuff. That's not really where my fandom really lies so much. Me, I'm more into the characters and, and the actual story of how it progresses and then how it ties in with the other stories and stuff. Uh, you know, I... I it's hard for me to limit myself down to just one film and be like, well, this one, you know, I liked it because this one director, I mean, you know, even empire strikes back, it's my favorite film, but not because of who the director was or anything like that, but because of the, the, how it all came together and the way it portrayed itself to me. I don't know if that explains it well enough or not. (laughs) Well, for number one, about uh, what new types of stories we could get. Honestly, what I want to see is something new. If you're going to go through the entire process of rebooting star Wars in a sense, you know, taking the official continuity that was and saying, okay, that's its own timeline. Now we've got this new canon one that'll be on par with the films. Uh, make the quality level on par with the films. Make it consistent and actually connect together without a lot of errors in the thing. Um, but tell us something new. If you're just going to turn around and tell us that, oh yeah, uh, Darth Plagueis was trained by this guy, Darth Tenebris. He was a Bith. There was Darth Venomous, and oh, by the way, they took part in this whole situation that had to do with this senator and this Jedi playing into the events that we already got out of the Republic comic series. I think just rehashing old stories would be a bad idea, and it would anger a lot of people. I think people will be more willing to look at this as two separate continuities if they see things coming that are new, surprising, and good, rather than just feeling like they're getting retreads of the old ground. Um, As for new novels of the films... I would say at least I doubt that as far as adult novels would go. And by adult, I mean written for adults, not risque or scandalous, bow chicky mow mow type novels. That would be a whole different thing and really put a new <laughs> twist, twist on Luke, Kiss, and Leia. Yeah. Set your sister down. Do not put your sister to the test. Incest is not the best. Bad Luke. Bad. He's my brother. Oh, so it's like that. Um, oh, seriously. But no, um... I I would say that they probably won't do it because they've already said that the novelizations that are out there will be considered canon uh, alongside the new stuff. However, they have said it's only considered canon insofar as they reflect what happened in the film. So all that new stuff added into it doesn't wind up jumping over into canon. It stays legend. So in that sense, there's that weird dichotomy they got going there. But they have said that we do have new young reader versions of the stories coming. In fact, we've already gotten one. We've got uh, The Adventures of Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, that's going to be coming out from uh, Tony, I think it's pronounced D. Terlizzi, of the Spiderwick Chronicles, and then you've got new young reader novelizations um, of A New Hope by R.J. Palacio, uh, of Empire Strikes Back by Adam Godwitz, and of Return of the Jedi by Tom Engelberger, and... They've already got those apps started, those Star Wars Journeys apps that are like part game, part kind of read-along storybook that they've already got the Phantom Menace one out for at this point. So I expect them to do quite a few of the young reader style of retellings of a lot of the stories we've already gotten, but I don't expect them to do any you know, adult style novelizations over again. It's kind of sad that they give us a, def- a definition of what's coming in that regard. And then, then they've got to give us another definition for the definition and an addendum. And then it's like each thing they add adds more confusion to it. Like, wait, what do you mean insofar as how they line up? What the heck's that supposed to mean? It would be easier for them to just set a date in the sand and say stuff before this? No. Stuff after this? Yes. 
but they can't do that because they want to yeah. bring in Son of Dathomir and stuff like that. Um, uh, number two, as to could we see more stuff like Sword of the Jedi? I've gone on record plenty of times on this show saying I don't expect to see a lot of new legend stuff coming out anytime in the near future outside of what is already continuing, which is the fantasy flight game stuff, at least it seems, uh, and the stuff that we're getting through uh, the Old Republic, which, yes, they did confirm uh, through, I believe it was uh, GameSpot, uh, who spoke with a representative of Lucasfilm who basically said that nothing is changing as far as the Old Republic goes, that MMO, it's remaining what at the time was C canon or expanded universe, so it's... Legends. It's going to continue on the way that it had been. Um, but yeah, I don't see those coming anytime soon, if ever. And as for who I'd want to write the film novels of episodes 7 to 9, uh, bring in somebody who's really good at developing depth to the characters. So give me a Matthew Stover, give me a Karen Travis, or don't bring in old hands at this at all. But bring in someone, I mean, if you're not going to create a lot of EU around it through references in the novels, then you got to do something with those novels that make them stand out from watching the films, or they're just a boring companion piece, like most of the novelizations are of most Hollywood films. Give us something where the author is able to add depth to the characters if they're not allowed to add much depth to the universe. That's what I want to see. And the last one, before we address a troll situation... Uh, we have one that comes in from Daniel Contreras, who says, Hey, Mark and Nathan. As always, love the show. You guys have done an excellent job highlighting the EU over the years, and I'm so glad to know that Star Wars Beyond the Films will continue to showcase, analyze, and celebrate these first 37 years of our beloved galaxy far, far away. I've been an EU collector for many years now, and it is to that subject that I bring up my question. I've done my best to keep track of published Star Wars material, checking publishers' websites, reading upcoming press releases, and scouring through Amazon.com. But that's always been an incomplete and haphazard way of understanding what's out there. With the likely retiring of our current EU, now seems like a good time to take a look at what's been released these past 37 years, to see it as a singular whole, rather than a constantly growing and difficult to pin down mass of material. When I look at the more traditional side of Star Wars collecting, action figures and such. I see a long-standing and very well-documented knowledge base of what's out there for fans. That leaves a collector of published works like me jealous. I was wondering if you guys knew of the availability of something similar for fans like us. A checklist or a series of checklists that really cover novels, source books, RPGs, comics, video games, children's publications, audio and video material, etc. Lists that would detail all the different variations, hardcover, paperback, Omnibus and trade paperbacks, compilations, alternate covers, previews, convention exclusives, online supplements, giveaways, pack-ins, digital downloads, etc., etc. I've been trying to find something like this for a while, and believe me, I've looked all over. Having a bird's-eye view of the EU could really help in deciding where to put my limited budget towards those items that make my collection exactly what I want it to be. Thank you, and may the Force and the EU forever be with us all. Daniel Contreras well, thanks, Dan. And, you know, just for all you out there that aren't so Legends happy and you're more into the new stuff, we will be covering the new stuff as well as the old, but there's so much great Legends expanded universe stuff out there that uh, we're looking forward to doing so many different things. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's almost a shame that we just don't have enough time in the day to record everything we'd like to and just have it all ready to go. <laughs> uh, as for your uh, checklist... I, too, have never really, beyond Nathan's timeline, uh, found anything very comprehensive beyond Nathan and, and uh, Eddie. Eddie, uh... Eddie Vanderheiden. 
uh, Eddie Vanderheiden. Yeah, he's got a great timeline of, of of new stuff coming out and stuff. And I think he also has an older one as well uh, that I've I've checked on from time to time because I had a spreadsheet going because I was in the same way as I was collecting the stuff. I wanted to be able to mark it off and know what I was looking for. Uh, there's still like two Galaxy of Fear books out there that I still don't have, and a couple of the missions books that I don't have as well that I you know they're really hard to find stuff. But yeah, I. I in the same boat, I was never able to find anything. I had to kind of sort of create one, and and it didn't have all the different covers. It didn't have the you know all the RPG stuff. It only had the big main ones that had come out around the time I was doing it. And eventually, I stopped doing that too because most of the stuff I could find was on Wikipedia, but it wasn't a checklist. Nathan, do you have anything like that? No, honestly, I mean there are collectors I could think of that have extensive knowledge of such things. But not any that have really taken the time to put together a comprehensive, you know, uh, it covers everything, hence comprehensive, type of list for that sort of thing. I know folks who focus on, you know, comic alternate covers, folks who focus in on different printings of books, but not necessarily both. Um, people who focus in on the video games and such. I'm one of the only people I know of that focuses in on things like the home video versions. Um, it's definitely a knowledge base that is very widespread out there. I think part of it is because, whereas if you're an action figure collector, for instance, that whole genre of collecting all kind of gets lumped together. You know, six-inch figures, uh, the regular size figures, the three and three-quarters or whatever they are, you know, the regular size figures that we're used to if we grew up with Star Wars toys and such. Um, that all kind of gets lumped together a lot of the time, so there's the huge guidebooks for that sort of thing. And it's a very dedicated collector's market. Um, I don't think you see as much of a dedicated collector's market, at least visibly online, for books or to a degree even comics compared to things like action figures. Um, so from that standpoint, I would hope that at some point we'll get that type of guide, like an ultimate guide, kind of like Sansweet did for action figures, maybe something like that for all of Star Wars in print, but I don't see it anytime soon. Closest thing I could think of is if you look at uh, the Star Wars Super Collector's Wish Book uh, by Jeffrey Todd Carlton, which I uh, did an article in, I guess, their fourth edition, I believe it was. Um, or if you take a look at something like the old, um, some of the old price guides that are out there. Um, the price guide type guides are the ones that will tend to point out variants because there may be different values. But again, how comprehensive are they going to be? Because a lot of those guides tend to focus in on the toys and that type of memorabilia much more than they focus in on the books. There might be a section on books and comics and such, and then all kinds of, of the rest of the material having to do with stuff that doesn't apply to what I used to refer to as a story collector. Um, so no, I don't know of anything comprehensive like that, um, and I, I wish there was such a thing. So if anybody out there knows of such a thing that is truly comprehensive in that sense, you know, drop us a line. Let us know, because that would be a very nice thing to have access to. That brings us to sort of an end point here, but I wanted to point out something uh, as a follow-up to our How Not to Write into the Show thing the other day. Um, consider this sort of the, the, the trolling update, so to speak. Um, I said that I would not give the name on the show of the individual who's at the heart of that comment made in the last episode about, you know, don't send an invective-filled type of email. Um try to give some reasoning to what it is that you are saying. And those who follow the Facebook page have probably been able to piece it together so far. Um, but we may have heard the last 
from that individual when it comes to actual emails being read on the show. Um, because this is a situation as it exists right now, we want to use this as sort of a cautionary tale. We get an email in referring to Andrew Gilbertson's comments back in the episode we called Jackson Speaks. Um, and the response simply is, Andrew Gilbertson is an effing a-hole. He should take his prequel-hating, Lucas-hating nonsense and get the F out of Star Wars fandom. He won't be missed. To which I reply, on behalf of the show, that basically that kind of thing is not going to be dignified with a response on the show. Um, it is not something we are going to take the time to pick apart, because there's not really anything to pick apart there. Um, but that if someone has that type of passion, that type of anger towards a particular point of view, then surely there's a meaning behind it. Surely there's some logic or some reasoning behind it. So share the reasoning. You do something that's not an ad hominem attack and name calling and actually give reasons behind why he disagrees on certain things, that would make for perhaps a really interesting discussion in the listener feedback stuff. Heck, that's why we asked Andrew to send in his thoughts on the canon thing, because we knew it would be very diametrically opposed to a lot of the other things that we were seeing out there and that we'd included in our previous episode with feedback from the community and all. Um, we received, however, a response to that request of, hey, let's invite you. Uh, if you're the host of a podcast, you pretty much have to generally try, at least if you're going to be cordial, um, to kind of put up with the, the intolerant tone you sometimes get from people um, and try to get at the root of whatever the issue is because it might make for good discussion. Good discussion does not always come from a comfortable place. However, the response we received was, Gilbertson isn't worth the effort of an intellectual argument because previous Lucas material did not match his own particular wishes. That is the definition of an effing a-hole. And again, I'm putting it that way as opposed to using the actual words as he put. Uh, he should get the hell out of fandom and never come back. Pardon me for saying so, perhaps, but I would say that the person who was the effing a-hole and who should get the hell out of fandom and never come back, um, if it's anyone... It's those who are so intolerant of other people's views that they will not dignify them with any level of rational discussion. That those who basically say it's my way or the highway, and if you don't agree with what I believe, you're an a-hole. Which is funny because he's basically saying, I don't like him because he believes that his view matters. Well, what makes yours matter? What would make the view of this person any more or less valued or valuable or valid than Gilbertson's? However, I would point out that one thing that might tip the scales is that one provides reasoning. The other doesn't. Can't judge the merits of an argument or if there even is a merit to an argument without some level of explanation. So I left it at that initially. But after hearing our discussion on The Clone Wars Season 6, we received yet another. And you could possibly tell by the tone here of this email who might have sent it, because I'll give you a hint. They got a letter in that they sent before all this crap started. They got a letter in earlier in this episode that you're listening to right now. The individual says... It's clear to many of us that you EU folks, and if you're not an EU folk, why are you listening to a show called Star Wars Beyond the Films? 
are angry about Lucas messing up your little universe. So you pass yourselves off as geniuses, telling the rest of us plebeians to turn on our brains. And Lucas, as an imbecile, all the while fabricating plot holes where there aren't any. One example. It doesn't matter if Yoda gets possible visions of the future. That doesn't tell him what steps to take now. For all he knows, if he followed your advice, that would lead to the visions coming true. He has to be guided by the Force. I see why you think those crazy rants from Gilbertson made sense. You mistakenly think the artist who created Star Wars owes you stories that fit your preconceptions. Artists are best when they stay true to their own vision, even if their vision changes. This is what Lucas has done. Thank goodness. As a last attempt at civility with this individual, this person who I think at this point is probably a troll, probably just looking for ways to attack anything that's on the show, uh, for us EU folks, he's basically playing the Lucas apologist in a lot of ways, and we do run into those from time to time. Um, it can be a valid point of view, but he's basically saying, um, you're fabricating plot holes where there aren't any, now here's one that could be interpreted one way or the other and gives an apologistic answer for it. Well, Yoda might think that, you know, if he did something about the visions, that's what's going to cause them to come true. There's nothing in the episodes, in the films, that says anything remotely touching on that. It's an apologist perspective. Now, you can make the valid argument for that, but that in and of itself does not fabricating plot holes make. Cherry-picking one and not bothering to address anything else. So I essentially sent back what amounts to a challenge to say, if you think that you can provide some type of rational email, some kind of rational response that actually goes through and takes apart all the other things that came up about the Yoda arc when it came to the inconsistencies, or season six, either way, to go ahead and send that and we could have some rational discussion on those particular plot points in our next regular feedback episode. Um, but so far, this person has basically played the role of, I know what is best, uh, sorry, uh, passing oneself off as a genius and telling the rest of us plebeians to turn on our brains because we don't see it his way or else you're an effing a-hole, apparently. Um, and basically playing the troll role. Basically just sending out inflammatory stuff just to see what kind of response he gets. So the last response that that kind of stuff gets from us, and specifically from me, because I'm usually the one answering the emails, because half the time they don't get to Mark, so first time he hears them is when it's here on the show, is to essentially say that there's three options. This individual can send a rational, argument-based, non-invective-filled, non-accusation-filled, non-inflammatory, non-ad hominem, name-calling, that is, email, that addresses all those concerns about our take on Clone Wars Season 6, and specifically the Yoda arc. And if so, that type of email would be answered like any other one on a feedback episode coming up in the relatively near future when we get a chance to record another one. Or, this individual can send one of the same ilk of what he has been sending. Or the third option, send no response whatsoever. But then I'll be taking the second or third options there, the same type or none, as essentially an acknowledgement we should just write him off as a troll, and if that happens, this individual's email will simply be blocked. You have to be civil 
when you are having discourse with the show. You can be heated, you can be passionate, but be civil and use intellectual honesty unless you want it thrown back in your face. Um, I don't know. what well, The reason why I'm mentioning this here, uh, one, is to put that out there publicly because I'm tired of it and we've been discussing it on the, the Facebook page some. So, you know, if you wanted your 15 minutes of fame, here it is, Sparky. Enjoy. Um, but also because I'm curious whether, A, if in offering these opportunities twice now, if I'm being too reasonable, if I should be more discerning and just, as they say, don't feed the trolls, um, or if the right call is to keep inviting because at some point maybe we'll get some type of civil response back and the discourse can begin. As a teacher, I always like to think that the latter of those two um, is the best route to take. But as someone who's been a part of Star Wars online fandom since the late 1990s, I also know that a lot of times the whole don't feed the trolls is sometimes the more practical route to take. Um, Mark, being that this is the first time you're hearing the specific text of two of those three emails, I'd be interested in your thoughts on it. Well, I've always felt for a long time there's been two distinct camps inside the giganticness that is Star Wars fandom. Uh, you know, always kind of feeling like there was like a unspoken war between the film-only fans and the EU fans. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I could see someone that's a film-only fan being just as irritated now finding out that they're going to have to read comics and books and play the games to get that whole story that they used to only get in films. So I can see, you know, some anger there on that side and people trying to, you know, relay it as best they can. I think that gets back to what Jazz was saying about, you know, evolving and all that stuff of where we're at in our fandom and stuff. And I know for me, it's been something that that's uh, made me stop and look at our show. And, you know, he said something about, you know, well, why are you on an EU only fan podcast? And, and, and I, I kind of challenge that because, you know, since we've gotten legends news, it was clear to us that we couldn't just be an expanded universe legends only podcast and continue to talk about the things that we love. I mean, everything moving forward is impacted. And so, you know, we have to be beyond the films and be beyond just one canon and one continuity. And, you know, to, to think that we're limited in that way is limiting your own view. Because uh, I, I would not want any fan of just the films to feel like they couldn't listen to our show because we're attacking them. Because that's that's not what this show has ever really been about. And I know that that's what's turned me off on other podcasts because I was an EU fan and having my fandom challenged in a way where I felt called out. Uh, so in that regard, you know, if, if we have, I apologize to anybody that's felt that way. But uh, I, just, I just think there's a lot of anger at this somewhere i'm not exactly sure where exactly it's coming from because i'm one of those that i can agree to disagree and i think that's just what this writer needs to do and kind of like i don't know relax a little was a line if your fandom is causing you angst and depression etc cetera, etc cetera, that you're doing it wrong the old yeah. time something like exactly. that exactly i mean there are times I've, I've questioned you know my own fandom because of things i mean you know, why, why I've adopted the newest moniker to my fandom title, the Bipolar Star Wars fan. I mean, I'm all over the place with this. There are days where I'm excited about the potential moving forward, and then there are other days where I'm really pissed off that Sword of the Jedi is quote-unquote on hold indefinitely. You know, I mean, I just it's very, very bipolar for me. And I've gotten into that sort of thing before, you know, the, the, the down period, especially when the Clone Wars started. 
And I wasn't sure if I was going to keep going with the timeline because it's sort of like, if they don't care, why should we? And they kept telling us, you know, it's going to fit, it's going to fit, you're going to get an answer later, and yet then there's not. Um, that was always something that sort of nagged at the back of my mind. You know, if they don't fix this, then what's going to happen with it? Um, but I am adult enough to say that when I have let myself get that stressed out about, oh no, what am I going to do with the timeline? Or, oh no, what am I going to do with this video series? Or even back in the day um, when I, I mean, I started, I'm wondering if this person who's writing in is a, a young teen um, or the mentality of a young teen, because I remember being a young teen on Star Wars message boards on AOL and <laughs> I was a douchebag. I was an absolute prick because <laughs> I had to be right all the time. And I would rip into anybody who disagreed, doing my best to tear down their arguments step by step by step. You Shaking have to get... while you typed, right? <laughs> oh, probably. you, you got to kind of get to the point where you realize it's just fandom, it's just a hobby. Um, and I don't know... Uh, I, I mean, I st anybody, I think, as a fan still struggles with that from time to time. So I'm adult enough to admit that when I let that kind of stuff get to me either back then or even... You know, since 2008, those times where I've just kind of been in that dark place about the future of do I want to do the timeline because of what's going on with Clone Wars or whatever, um, I can admit that there are those times where we slip below the line. And in those instances, I was doing fandom wrong, so to speak. I was letting a hobby become something that it shouldn't have been. It became a, a an emotional barometer for my day, which is not the way it's supposed to be. Would you make the same you know, statement that as far as, you know, when you do get down, really, really down about the Star Wars stuff, that in a sense, whether on purpose or not, that is sort of one of those doing fandom wrong, and when you come out of it, that it's sort of the realization of, you know what, this too shall pass, it's not that big a deal, it's just a hobby, I mean, mm -hmm. isn't that sort of the same cycle? Oh yeah, and sometimes I get into that cycle where I'm very cut my nose off to spite my face about things, you know, <laughs> I don't want to look at anything Star Wars. I don't want to go into my house because my bedroom is covered with Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, I'm all over the place with this. It's it's a very trying time. <laughs> I feel bad for my wife and kids. <laughs> but hey, you know, at least nobody on this podcast or out in the fandom listening that we know of are out there making South Park cartoons where George Lucas is literally raping someone's childhood. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. No matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our page and follow us on Facebook. They're our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, before we go, we wanted to mention you our Audible trial. 
If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com by our sponsors to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe legends genre or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, four stars beyond the films, it's Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And the perhaps over-agitated Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. One, that the troll's going to write back something rational. And two, that they'll get William Chatner to do an audio book or video of Rebel Heist. <laughs> Maybe they'll just settle on Seinfeld. <laughs> what is the deal? What is wrong with these sentence fragments? <laughs> uh. And don't quote us the odds. That we'll wind up revisiting this at some point, probably during the next regular feedback episode. But we promise there'll be more than just this topic. Yeah. We, we hope. What are the odds of that? Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we do not start with the closing. Wow. Oh, that's great. I slid my uh, show notes down and I was checking something. My wife My wife sent me this thing on the text and I moved the show notes. And where I was looking a second ago is now the closing. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, may the force be with you and don't quote us the odds. And we're done. episode ever. <laughs> oh, I didn't even miss a beat. I looked right, right where I had the paragraph to say. We asked the tough question. Like, where the hell is the episode content? Where the hell am I in the show notes? I don't even know. We oh, ask okay. the tough questions like, are we actually going to talk about something in this episode? <laughs> <clears throat> okay, I can Take those. <clears throat> Run on sentences. Okay. Yeah, it was a lot easier to watch the Clone Wars and enjoy it if you... Shit. Lucasfilm calling for Mr. Butler. From... We have a Jedi librarian we need cast, and we thought you'd be perfect for it. Uh, it's another one of these, uh, these... Would you like to automatically... No! No! Come on, you bitch. There we go. Okay, try that again. He would prefer to take future movies away from children because previous Lucas material didn't match his own particular witches. Because previous Lucas material didn't match his own particular witches. I said it again. <laughs> well, what makes yours matter? What makes the opinion of someone saying that he'd prefer to take poop more? But I'm trying to figure out how to say this. 